Well, on this Mother's Day, we thought that it would be appropriate to recognize a couple mothers in particular. Um, I'd like us to take a moment and recognize two mothers. Number one, uh, we want to recognize the woman in this room who has been a mother for the longest amount of time. Okay, so, so we're going to find out who is the woman here who's been a mother for the most amount of years, and we're going to give you a bouquet of roses because it's a pretty grand thing. So what I'd like you to do, if you're willing, is raise your hand if you have been a mother. We're not talking about your age, just the number of years you've been a mother here. If you have been a mother for more than 40 years, please put up your hand. A mother for more than 40 years. Okay, we have a few. We have a few. Great. Um, do we have anybody who's been a mother for more than 50 years? Okay, we do. You do, right there. Okay, um, got a couple, couple in the room. A mother for more than um, 55 years? Wow, right there. Oh, we have it. Okay. Uh, mother for more than 60 years? Yes, right here. Any seconds? We got anybody else? Okay, right here we have mother who has the most experience in the room. Okay. That's our, our mother with the most experience. Okay, the, the next mother is going to probably want to come talk to you after the service because the next person we want to find is a mother who's been a mother for the least amount of time, our newest mother in the room. So we're looking for the woman who's been a mother for the shortest amount of time. So if you have been a mother for less than six months, raise your hand. Man, this is when I could really use two eyes right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to make it out. Okay. Anybody less than six months? I'm not seeing any hands. Okay, do we have any mothers who've been a mother for less than a year? Less than a year, right here? Right. Oh, they're all sleeping. That's probably right. They're probably at home today <laughs> catching some... Okay, we've got a couple mothers who've been a mother less than a year. How about a mother less than eight months? Less than eight months? Okay, less than seven months? Less than seven months. Anybody else? Okay, we have right here our newest mother. Pam, if you'll take her some roses. Wonderful. Well, why are we handing out roses today? We're doing it to acknowledge the fact that motherhood is a very, very difficult profession that often goes unrecognized. Uh, Mothers, you have an incredibly challenging job description that God has given you. Motherhood is an incredibly high calling, an incredibly sacred and special responsibility, but it is also very, very difficult To be a mother is to be stressed out and fatigued often. Uh, Children come out of the womb needy and crying and desperate for your care. There's no off switch on the top of your head. You can't set them aside and take a nap. You are always having to be their mother. Uh, And you can't just tell them, hey, grow up and be mature because they're not yet. You have to invest time and effort into their lives to help them to grow into maturity. Motherhood is an incredibly challenging job that carries a lot of stress with it. Um, I'm not a mother, obviously, and I will never be a mother, but I can watch and see what you mothers do, and I have to admit, I'm pretty amazed when I watch. I'm amazed to see what you put up with day after day after day, the crying and the tantrums and the fighting among siblings and, and the selfishness and the immaturity. You put up with it in love and patience, and it is amazing to me. I look at motherhood, and I'm convinced it must be one of the most stressful jobs imaginable incredibly wonderful responsibility, but brings a lot of stress. That's why it's really appropriate this morning that at the end of the book of Philippians, we are going to find a passage that teaches us how to manage stress well. 
We're going to look at the end of the book of Philippians. You can turn there now, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at a passage that teaches us how to reduce the stress in our lives, how to exchange stress for the peace of God. Now, this passage is not just for mothers. This passage is for all of us. There are some of you in this room for whom motherhood is, uh, or Mother's Day is a stressful day because you are not a mother. For Julie and I, the last two Mother's Days have been actually very painful in our lives as we have wrestled with infertility. It's not been fun to come to church on Mother's Day for the last couple years. There's some of you out there this morning, you're stressed out because you're not yet able to be a mother or a father and you want it very badly. This passage is for you. There's others of you who are out there this morning, you're stressed out because your boss just keeps piling things on your plate. You have so many responsibilities at work or at school, you're just overwhelmed by them. Others of you are here who are stressed out because you're in the opposite situation. You have no responsibilities at work because you don't have a job. You've been laid off or you can't find a job and you're stressed out for that. Well, for both of you, this passage is for you. This passage is for all of us because all of us deal with stress. Whether you're a junior higher or you're 100 years old, stress is a frequent companion to your life. That's just a reality in the hectic world that we live in. The American Institute of Stress has concluded that 75 to 90% of all visits to primary care physicians are for stress-related problems. That's incredible. 75 to 90% of everybody going to the doctor is because of something related to stress. Stress is an unavoidable part of life in this hectic, busy world that we find ourselves in. We can't eliminate stress. That's not what Philippians 4 is going to do for us this morning. It is not possible to eliminate stress from our lives. It's just a part of living in this fallen world that we're going to feel stress. What this passage can do is it can teach us how to manage that stress well, how to respond well to it, so rather than growing with time, our stress shrinks with time. Our stress is gradually replaced by the peace of God. That's what we're going to see this morning. Look with me, starting in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in the God of peace will be with you. Now, as he often does at the end of his letters, Paul basically here at the end of Philippians, he just throws out a bunch of commands, throws out a bunch of commands on the table. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to preach the end of a book because we have a list of commands and it's like, how do I do a sermon around that? Fortunately for us this morning, all of this list of commands can be fit together under the big idea of peace. These commands, when you line them up, lay out for us a pathway to God's peace. Uh, I think they can be all joined together, lumped together in four steps that God gives us in life to finding peace. Four steps that help us to manage stress in our lives. So what I want us to do is look at these paths to peace, these steps to a life of peace. We'll look at each of them in turn as we discover how can we manage our stress and experience the peace of God. Uh, the first uh, step to peace that Paul gives us in this passage is found in verse 5. Look again in verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. 
Step one to peace is showing others grace. Now, often in our lives, the source of stress is relationships. Uh, Relationships can be difficult things. We can rub up against each other. There can be friction in our relationships and stress ensues. Now, unfortunately, often the pattern in relationships is that you've got one person and this person, whether intentionally or unintentionally, hurts another person. And the person who's hurt, they respond back in kind. They punch back. They fight back. And now the argument is escalated. The fight is escalated. And all of a sudden, now both of them are going back and forth at each other. They're at each other's throat. The tension has escalated and the stress is through the roof. Now, if you want to experience a life of peace, if you want to limit the stress in your life, step number one is to put an end to that cycle of escalation by being a person of grace, a person who shows grace when you are hurt. Now, the the word that Paul uses here, gentleness or gentle spirit, it means to not insist on your rights, to be willing to yield to another person, even if that person is demanding, even if that person is frustrating, even if that person is wrong, you yield to them. You show them grace. They deserve to be blasted, but you choose instead to be kind to them, to be patient towards them. That's what Paul is, is challenging us to practice in this verse. I, I think it especially applies to those people in your life who frequently frustrate you or frequently hurt you. I think this applies to the the spouse who is not very sensitive to you. I think this applies to the husband who never does the dishes. He doesn't help out around the house. Um, You want to blast him, but that's just going to cause you more stress in the long run. Paul's challenging you, be gentle towards him. Show him grace. You may need to go convict him. You may need to go challenge him, but resist the urge to pour the pasta sauce down his pants. Go sit with him and be gracious to him. Be kind to him. This applies to the inconsiderate neighbor. The jerky neighbor, you just want to blast them. Instead, be a person of grace. Don't start a war between you and your neighbor. This applies to your boss who just keeps piling things on your plate, who, who's really being mean to you. Be a person of grace. Don't start a battle. That will just create more stress in your life. Now, let me admit right from the beginning, this is not an easy command Paul is calling us to. My natural response when someone wrongs me is to blast them, is to fight back. I, I don't want to be nice to them. I want to respond in anger. I want to give them what they deserve. That's my natural response. That's what my sin nature in me wells up and says, this is justice. I want them to know justice, so I'm going to respond back in kind. What Paul's challenging us to do is very difficult, to say, I'm okay with being wronged. I'm okay with with forgiving and forgetting what you did. I'm okay with that. Even if I have to go talk to you about it, I'm gonna do it in love and grace. I'm okay with being wrong. It's hard to do that. So Paul gives us motivation at the end of the verse. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. I think Paul is here telling us, how is it that you find motivation to show people grace? They deserve justice. They deserve your wrath. They deserve your your punishment. How do you show them grace? You remember that Jesus is coming soon. That's what the word near means here, I think. Uh, Near can mean a couple different things. I think here it means temporally. Jesus is near in terms of his coming back. We're going to see Jesus very, very soon, and that's a motivation to us to show people to give them grace rather than to give them what they deserve. Uh, Book of James talks about a similar idea. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. James is telling his audience of believers, hey, um, 
it's okay to be wrong because Jesus is coming soon and he's going to set things right. Jesus is coming soon. It may not feel that way to you, but he's going to make all things right. He's going to be the one who brings perfect justice. He's going to be the one who ends your frustration. I, I think this is helpful to me. My frustrations feel like they're going to go on forever. I feel like I will always be frustrated with certain people in my life. And this is a reminder that's not true. I will very soon be standing before Jesus Christ in frustration and anger and all these things that they've done to me will be a distant memory. I won't even think about them anymore. It will be completely replaced by God's perfect peace. Jesus is coming soon and he's gonna make things right. You don't have to fight back. You can be a person who shows grace to those who frustrate you, who wrong you. If you will do that, you will experience less stress in life. Because rather than escalating tensions in your relationship, rather than, rather, than, rather than fighting back tit for tat, up and up and up you go in tension, you simply end the process by showing grace. You smother the tension, you put out the fire by being kind, by being yielding, by being patient. That's the first step to a life of peace. Show grace. Second step that Paul has for us. Found in verse six, we'll look particularly at verse six. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Second way that you deal with stress is that you fight back through prayer. Prayer is the second step that Paul gives us to a life of peace. Paul mentions a very significant word here, one one that all of us in this room know, anxiety. To be anxious or to have anxiety is to have fear over a real or imagined problem in the future. Anxiety is when we let something uh, that concerns us about the future, something that could go wrong in the future, consume our minds. Okay, uh, anxiety is different than planning. It's important to distinguish those two. Planning is when you say, okay, let me look at the future and plan what I should do. I'm just going to do that for a limited amount of time. I'm not going to let worries consume me. I'm going to plan good steps. Anxiety is when you open up the can of worms that is the future and just let it own you. Just let it control you. I, I had a lot of anxiety about um, 10 days ago. Let's see, it was uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, about 4 a.m. I wake up. And, and I wake up with the thought of, um, okay, my life is pretty busy now trying to, trying to preach every week and all that. What's it going to be like in November when the twins come? And it's, it's 4 a.m., so let's just be clear. I'm not planning at 4 a.m. I'm not thinking wisely about the future. No, I, I'm beginning to think about how I will never sleep about how I will never have a day off, about how my sermons will just go downhill. I'll be failing as both father and pastor. I just let myself be consumed by these fears. There's nothing productive in it. I'm just letting possible events in the future consume me with anxiety. Many of you are parents in this room and you know anxiety. Uh, you, You wrestle with anxiety when you think about the future of your children. You're laying there in bed, unable to sleep at night, wondering in your head, will my children be safe? Will they be healthy? Will my children do well at school? Will my children resist peer pressure? Will my children find a job? Will they be successful in life? Most importantly, will my children walk with the Lord? You you begin to let these thoughts consume you. You're not thinking about them for planning's sake. There is a time to ask those questions so that you can decide what school should we send them to? How should we discipline them? You make wise choices, but then you put those thoughts away. You box them up and you don't worry about them. But if you're not careful, those, those thoughts will get out of the box and they'll begin to roll around in your brain and they'll begin to consume you with anxiety. They'll begin to own you. We all know what that feels like. When we're owned by fears of the future, imagined problems to come, what do you do when anxiety hits? 
I'll be honest with you, you can't stop anxiety from, from springing up. It's just part of our sin nature. We're always gonna wrestle with anxiety. What do you do when it assails you? Whether you're in the car driving home from work or being woken up at 4 a.m. by anxious thoughts, what do you do? You turn to God in prayer. You turn those anxious thoughts, those needs over to God in prayer. That's Paul's point in verse six. I love what he says here. I love how inclusive he is. Be anxious for absolutely nothing, but in everything that you are anxious about, everything that causes you fear, everything that you worry about, turn all of those needs over to God. Paul's talking about prayer as a spiritual discipline here. He's not just saying pray to God about the really big stuff. Saying, pray to God about everything, even the stuff that's really tiny. You feel a little bit silly praying to God about it. God wants you to pray. God wants you to lay that at his feet. He wants you to practice prayer, something you do every day throughout the moments of the day. Anytime you feel worry starting to creep into your mind, immediately respond to it in prayer. Immediately take that to God and say, God, I'm worried about X. I'm worried about my kid. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my car. I'm worried about my marriage. Take it to God and lay it before his feet. That's how we respond to anxiety. But notice a a really key word uh, that's found in verse six, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We, We lay our request before God with thanksgiving, bathed in thanksgiving, the kind of prayer that conquers our anxieties, that pushes back against worry, is prayer that is bathed in thankfulness. That's really, really significant, you guys. It's not enough to just pray to God, pray requests to God. It's not enough to just say, God, I need X, I need Y, I need Z. You have to bathe your prayers in a spirit of thankfulness if you hope to fight back against anxiety. If you want to experience God's peace, you have to pray with thankfulness. Paul's challenging us here to have a balanced prayer life, a prayer life that includes plenty of requests for God to bless us in the future, but balanced by the same number of thanksgivings to God for how he's blessed us in the past. The kind of prayer life that conquers anxiety balances our requests and our thankfulness. I think that's what Paul's getting at in verse four. Notice Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I read that verse and it frustrates me. So I think, man, there's lots of times when I don't feel joyful. I I don't feel like rejoicing in the Lord. What do I do with that? If I have a day where I'm not feeling joyful, I'm feeling stressed out, what do I do? I think the answer to that is thankfulness the spiritual discipline of gratitude. On days when I don't feel thankful, when I don't feel joyful, you know what I need to do? I need to pull out my journal or a sheet of paper. I need to begin to write down all that God has done in my life. Just write it down. I may not feel happy, but write it down. I may not feel thankful, write it down anyways. You start listing out what God has done for you. That list grows and I promise you, you will begin to feel joyful. may just be a little bit at first. But God will respond to your thankfulness by building joy within you. And so when anxiety hits, when worry hits, turn those worries over to the Lord in prayer, but do so bathed in thanksgiving. Thanking God for all that he's done in your life, all that he's done in the life of your kids already. Thanking God for how he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. How he gave you hope through Jesus' resurrection. How he's given you life and breath, a free country to live in, a house to live in a family here to belong to. God's done so many good things in your life. If you will rehearse those over and over again when you're laying in your bed feeling anxious and worried, you will see anxiety decrease. God will push back against your anxiety and will replace it with what's found in verse seven. As you pray with thanksgiving, the peace of God, 
which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we, we turn to God and we let our requests be made known to him. We lay our requests at his feet, bathed in thanksgiving. Notice God doesn't promise to necessarily answer our prayers. He doesn't promise to necessarily give us what we ask for. God doesn't always give us what we ask for because he knows what we truly need. He loves us enough to give us what's best for us, not just what we ask for. But what he does promise here is whether or not he gives you what, he ask, what you ask him for, he will give you his peace. He will give you his peace to guard you. The verb there, to guard, is actually a military term. It means to garrison or to fortify, to protect a structure. The idea is that God's peace will come upon you like a, like a, a, a band of soldiers surrounding you, guarding your thoughts, your feelings against anxiety. As you turn to the Lord in prayer, bathed in thanksgiving, something supernatural happens. God himself overwhelms you with his peace and his peace protects you. It fights back against worries, against stresses, against anxieties. And so the second way that you resist stress, that you minimize, that you reduce stress in your life is by turning to God constantly in thankful prayer. If you'll do that, you'll experience a lot more of his peace in the course of your life. Third step that Paul has for us here for experiencing peace in our lives is to discipline our thought life. Look with me at verse 8. Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. To dwell means to, to ponder, to meditate upon. Paul uses a present tense verb here. He's saying, if you want to live a life of peace, you need to constantly be thinking about things that pass the bar of verse 8. Things that are in accordance, that align with verse 8. What Paul's telling us is that uh, there's a very close connection between stress and our thought life. If you focus your mind on the right kind of thoughts, you will experience peace. If instead you focus your mind on the wrong kind of thoughts, you will experience stress, anxiety, worry. Okay, so Paul's laying out for us. If you want to know what kind of thoughts lead you to peace, to a life of peace, they need to pass the test of verse 8. There's a lot of of adjectives listed there in verse 8. I think they can be grouped into three big ideas, three categories here. You could say three tests that we should put our thoughts before. Paul's, Paul's challenging us. He wants us to have a disciplined thought life. Don't just think about anything. Don't be passive in your thought life, allowing any influence that comes upon you to occupy your mind. Be disciplined. Take your thoughts captive. Evaluate them. Reject those things that are bad. Embrace those things that are good. Specifically, embrace thoughts that pass these three tests. Number one, embrace thoughts that are true. That's the first test of your thought life. The thought that just popped in my head, is this true? Now, it's important as we think about this to remember what uh, Jesus says in John 8. He says, you are of your father, the devil. He's speaking to the Pharisees here. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. We need to realize that Satan, who who is our chief enemy, one of his primary strategies against us is deception. That's one of the things that Satan is the very best at. He is a really good liar. 
His attack strategy against you, um, above all else, is to fill your mind with lies. And and he's going to try to do that both um, from external temptations, from external sources of deception. Uh, The whole world, whether you realize it or not, is under Satan's power of deception. The world as a whole is remarkably deceived about a great many things. Whether things of heaven like God and salvation or things of earth like the purpose of marriage, the meaning of life, the use of money, they don't know truth. And so constantly, 24 hours a day, we are being bombarded with lies from this world. You turn the TV on, it's lying to you. We're receiving lies from external sources, but that's not all Satan uses. He also uses internal sources of deception. Your own sin nature, your mind, which is still bent towards sin, is feeding you lies, is seeking to lead you astray. Satan is working both from external sources and from within you to feed lies to you. That's why it is so important that we are constantly evaluating the truthfulness of what we're thinking about. That we're constantly taking our thoughts captive and asking, does this thought line up with scripture? And does it line up with the reality of life as I've seen it? Is that thought true? Let me give you a couple examples to think about. What do you do if you're laying in bed and you're hit with the thought, no one likes me. No one really likes me. Okay, that thought begins to roll around in your head. Man, no one likes me. You're beginning to feel discouraged. That thought is just beginning to consume you. Wait, hit the pause button. And let's line that up with this test of truthfulness. Okay, biblically speaking, is it true that no one likes me? Well, there's this guy that the Bible talks about named God. Um, And the Bible's pretty clear that he likes me a lot. Uh, He likes me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for me. He likes me so much that he's already given me eternal life, that he's already promised that there's nothing I can do that will ever cause him to push me away. Now, he likes me, so um, this thought in my head is not true. Uh, Number two, uh, compare it to the realities of your life. Is there really no one in your life who likes you? Do your parents hate you? Do, Do all your relatives, all your cousins, everybody hate you? Do all your friends hate you? Does everybody at school hate you? Does everybody at work really hate you? Probably not. Right, when you look at that, you're probably thinking, well, there's a couple people who said something mean to me today. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that no one likes you. You need to take that thought captive and line it up with scripture and with reality and you realize that thought's not true. I need to reject that thought. I'm being hit with this thought that no one likes me, but it's not true, so stop. Take that thought and say, I'm not gonna think about that. You reject that thought. That's how you do it. You line it up with scripture, you line it up with the reality of life. If it doesn't pass the bar of truth, you shouldn't be thinking about it. It is not valid. Throw it out. You are master of your mind. Don't let your mind control you. Throw that thought out. Second test. Not only should our thoughts be true, but they should be honorable, righteous, pure. That's the next few adjectives. I think they're talking about the concept of moral purity. The things that are in our mind should be morally pure. Now, there's a lot in, obviously, Scripture is morally pure. There's a lot in this world that is morally pure. Unfortunately, there's also a lot in this world that is not morally pure. There is a lot in this world, in this society, that morally speaking is simply filthy. And and it has no business occupying our minds. Now, that means that we're going to really need to be very careful, especially in the realm of entertainment. We need to be so careful about what we watch, what we read, what we see. Guys, for us, this is going to particularly apply to images, Our minds are wired where images really take hold of us. They're very powerful in our minds. We're going to need to be very careful. What images are you letting in? Whether on the computer, on the TV, on movies, what are you letting in? Because it will consume you. It will own you. So be very careful. It doesn't pass this test. Don't let it in. 
Ladies, you're, you're more complex than us guys. I was talking to Julie about that. It's not just images for you. You guys have input from all sorts of sources, books, conversations, magazines, all, all kinds of places. You need to be very careful. What are you letting in? Is it morally pure? Is, is it in alignment with God's principles or is it contrary to scripture? Is it contrary to what's right? Don't let it in. Put a filter up in front of your eyes, a filter up in front of your mind to block those things out. Don't let them fill you up. Third test here that Paul has for us of our thoughts, next few words, what is lovely, what is commendable, what is excellent, what is worthy. I think what Paul is is speaking to us here is this third test is only let things into your mind that are lovely, that, that are good. Now, Paul's not just talking about scripture. There's lots of things in this world that are lovely. Paul's saying it's good to fill your mind with the music of Yo-Yo Ma and cello. That's a good thing. God created that. It's good to to fill your mind with with, with nature, with being out in a park in your backyard. That's good. God created that. It's good to fill your mind with the the pleasant thoughts of a date that's coming up with your spouse, to fill your mind with the the sounds of your children laughing. Those are good things. Dwell on those things. They're good. They're lovely. They're worthy of your attention. There's many things that God has given us in this world that we can focus our minds on that are positive, that are, are helpful, that are edifying to us. When you break it down, what Paul's telling us is if you want to live a life that is characterized more by peace than by stress, you need to exercise discipline over your thought life. You are master of your mind. You need to evaluate what thoughts are rolling around up there and reject those that don't pass these tests. If a thought's up there that doesn't pass these tests, take it captive, set it aside. Think about something else. Choose to think about something that does pass these tests. Now, sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes you have a thought, a temptation, an image, something, a a worry that is rolling around in your head and, and you just can't seem to push it away. You just can't seem to get rid of it. When that happens, let me challenge you. I think what God, one of the things that God has given us for that situation is scripture memory. A lot of us, when we were kids, people made us memorize scripture and we thought, okay, I'll do it because I get a lollipop. Um, scripture memory is for adults too. Scripture memory is incredibly important for us. It is a tool that God has given us to take our minds captive to us, to become master of our minds. Um, what I should have done at 4 a.m. when I was consumed by worry about the future, should have started quoting scripture to myself. Should have started just rehearsing scripture to myself. That's, that's the beauty of our minds. We can multitask to some extent, but you start trying to recall scripture. You start trying to remember something you've memorized. You don't have a lot of room for anything else. Your mind becomes consumed with what you're doing, trying to recall scripture, and you push away the thoughts that you need to reject. So I, I really challenge if you don't have much scripture memorized, if you don't have much in your mental bank that you can call up at 4 a.m. when you're struggling with worry or anxiety, I challenge you to memorize some scripture. Challenge you, uh, we're in the book of Philippians, great book to memorize. Memorize the first half of chapter two and the first half of chapter three. Great, great, great passages to memorize. Okay, so spend some time memorizing, building up that storehouse of scripture so when temptation comes, when you are tempted to think about something you shouldn't, you can replace those thoughts with scripture. I love what uh, Martin Luther's grandmother said to him. He was struggling with tempting thoughts and, and here's what his grandmother said. You can't keep birds from flying above your head, but you can keep them from landing there. We can't help inappropriate thoughts, anxious thoughts, unrighteous thoughts, untrue thoughts from springing up in our mind. We're constantly bombarded with them from culture. Our sin nature is always springing them up on us. We can't control that they come up, but we can control whether we choose to dwell on them. 
That temptation comes up, that thought comes up. We can't keep it from coming up, but we can choose to reject it, to set it aside and focus our minds on something that is good. If you'll do that, you'll eliminate a lot of the stress in your life and experience much more of God's peace. A fourth and final step that Paul has for us for experiencing a life of peace is to practice obedience to Christ. Look with me at verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is kind of a summary command here at the end of the book. Paul's saying, everything that I've taught you and everything that you have seen modeled in my life, obey it, follow it. Now, now the essence of Paul's teaching in the book of Philippians, when you draw it all together, the essence of it is put Christ first in your life. That's the big idea of Paul's teaching in the book of Philippians. Pursue Christ first, obey Christ in every area of your life. If you'll do that, that's how you follow Paul's example. That's how you follow his teaching. So Paul's telling us, if you want to experience the peace of God, you need to obey Jesus Christ. You need to pursue him and obey him first and foremost in your life. I think what Paul is unfolding for us here, what he's unveiling to us here is, is two-sided principle. Number one, disobedience creates stress. If you choose not to obey Christ, not to pursue Christ, you are sowing seeds of stress in your life. And, and here's why. First uh, John 1, 5 and 6, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John's point here is if you are practicing sin, if you're practicing disobedience, you are putting up a wall of separation between you and God. Now, you're not losing your salvation, but you're not having fellowship with God. Your relationship is estranged because of your sin. And because you've separated yourself from God, you have naturally, irrevocably separated yourself from his peace. The only source of true peace in life is God. There is no other place to go. His peace, as verse 7 says, is surpassing. It surpasses anything this world can offer. It's supernatural peace. The only way you can experience it is to be close to him. If you choose to sin instead, you are unavoidably going to experience stress. There's no other way. You've separated yourself from the only source of peace in the universe. Now, we all know that. We don't have to turn to the Bible for this. We all know this from experience. The person who chooses to lie, to steal, to cheat on an exam, to commit infidelity, do you think that that person feels less stress after the sin? No. No, they don't, because now they're consumed with regret, with guilt, and with fear of being caught. Now these, these fears begin to consume them. That's actually the plot line, if you've ever read Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart or Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, the plot line in both of those, if you have these guys who commit what they believe is justifiable homicide, and then guilt and fear over their crime consumes and destroys their lives. Those aren't Christian writers writing those books. Those are secular writers saying this is simply an, uh, an unalterable law of the universe as it has been designed by God. If you disobey, if you do something wrong, you will experience stress. We all know that. I think that's one of the big reasons to not sin is because sin produces stress. It produces anxiety, worry, fear in our lives. We can't avoid that. Okay, so if you want to experience peace in life, you, you, you need to not disobey. Instead, flip side, you need to obey. If you will obey God, if you will obey Jesus Christ, you will experience peace rather than stress in life. That's the point of Hebrews 12, verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. 
Yet to those who've been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God's discipline is meant to grow us up in obedience. As we grow to obey Christ more and more, what comes into our lives? The peaceful fruit of righteousness, the supernatural fruit from God of peace in our lives. As we obey, God's supernatural peace comes to dwell more and more deeply in our lives. Now, this is not a promise that as you obey God, God will remove all sources of stress from your life. That's, that's not going to happen this side of heaven. The, those sources of stress are going to be there, but we won't be adding stress from disobedience. And most importantly, what we will be doing through our obedience is drawing closer and closer to the God who is the one and only source of peace in the universe. As you obey, you open yourself up in relationship to God to experience more and more of his overwhelming peace upon you. Now, sometimes obedience feels like a hard thing. It feels like a stressful thing. It is always going to generate more peace in your life to obey than to disobey. Obedience is always the way to peace. And so as you obey God, as you grow to obey Jesus Christ more and more fully in your life, you will experience more of God's peace. That's the point that Paul has for us. Let's go ahead and draw this together, these four principles that Paul has put before us here at the end of the book of Philippians. Here on Mother's Day, as we celebrate what mothers do and recognize that they, like all of us, deal with a lot of stress in this life, how do we push back against stress and against anxiety and against worry? How do we usher into our lives more of the supernatural, overwhelming peace of God through four steps? Number one, show others grace. Don't build and increase the tension in your relationships by fighting back. Instead, yield. Show grace. Don't give them what they deserve. Give them kindness. Even if you have to confront them, give them kindness and love. Second, practice thankful prayer. When worry or anxiety hits you, immediately turn that need over to God in prayer, but bathe that prayer in thankfulness, and God's peace will overwhelm you. Third, discipline your thought life. You are master of your mind. Take possession of it evaluate your thoughts, run them against that grid. What is true? What is righteous? What is lovely? Reject those things that aren't. Embrace those things that are. Finally, practice obedience to Christ. Recognize that sin is an incredible source of stress, anxiety, and pain in your life. So reject sin. Turn and instead obey Christ. As you do that, you'll experience more and more of his supernatural peace. Now, in terms of application, that's a, that's a lot for one day to take away, four big steps, four massive things. So what I'd ask each of you to do, I, I don't know where you are today, I'd ask you to look at that list and choose what is the item that you most need to work on, that you're doing the poorest in. Um, if, if you look at your life, maybe this last week, this last month, and you see a lot of times when you blasted people, when you responded in kind, when they hurt you, then maybe you need to take principle number one home. You need to work on being a person who shows others grace. You need to be entrusting justice to Jesus Christ and not trying to work it out yourself. Uh, If instead you look at your life and you think, man, this last week I've just been consumed by anxiety. I've been so worried about X, Y, or Z. Then you need to take principle two home. You need to begin to grow in your ability to immediately turn to God in prayer. If you're struggling with that thankfulness, with bathing your prayer in thankfulness, I really do encourage you to take out a sheet of paper or a journal at home. Take some time this afternoon to list out all the things you're thankful for may sound silly, it's supernaturally powerful. As you list out the things you're grateful for, it will give you a basis of joy and peace in life. If you look at your life and you think, man, this last week my thoughts have been all over the place, 
I've been incredibly undisciplined. Whatever has come my way, I've thought about that. Maybe principle number three is what you need to take home. You need to grow in your self-discipline over your mind. Or if you look at your life and you say, man, there's an area of sin that I am not having any success over. I've just been giving in to this sin over and over again. Then principle number four is what you need to take home. You need to work on growing in obedience so you can experience more of the peace of God. Let me pray for us and pray that God would help us to apply this to our lives, whether we're mothers or not, that all of us would grow to be people of peace. Heavenly Father, we recognize, we acknowledge that you are the source of peace. We recognize, first and foremost, you've given us a foundation for peace by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so that we could be drawn to you, so that we could be redeemed, and you rose him from the dead. You raised him up from death so that we can have hope in the life after this one. Lord, thank you so much for sending Jesus, for giving us that foundation of peace. And now we pray, Lord, that as we go from here, that you would help us to be people of peace, people who constantly are experiencing your peace, even in the stresses and strains and anxieties of life that we're constantly turning to you and being filled with the supernatural fruit of your peace. I pray for each person here, Lord, you know them individually, you know each of us, you know what we need from this list, where we're weak, what we need to work on. I pray that you would help all of us to apply this passage to our lives in a concrete and practical way this week, Lord. Help none of us to walk out of here with just a theoretical idea of this. Help each of us to to really put this into practice this week, Lord, to grow as people of peace so that we can show that peace to this world who desperately needs Jesus Christ, so that we can be winsome and attractive to unbelievers. Lord, we pray that all of this would glorify you and glorify your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. I want to let you know we're, we're now done with the book of Philippians. We're done with the spring. Definitely wanted to say uh, goodbye to our college students who are leaving for the summer. We've really been blessed to have you around. Have a great summer. Um, for those of us who will be here this summer, we're doing something a little different. We're going to be going through the wisdom literature. So that's like Proverbs, some of Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes, some of those books this summer. We're actually going to be doing a rotation here at both Southwood and Anderson. So I'll be here a few times, but uh, we have a number of pastors here at Grace Bible Church that can preach very well. We're very blessed to have that. So a number of people will be rotating through the pulpit this summer. When you don't see me, I would love to ask for you guys to pray for me. The reason that I'm not preaching all summer is so that I can write the Bible studies for next year, uh, write the curriculum that we'll be going through in small groups. So I definitely pray or ask for your prayer for that. I think I'm I have a pretty challenging book. I won't tell you yet which one it is, but a pretty challenging book to put together. It's going to stretch me. So please do be praying for our Bible studies to come together so we can really draw close to the Lord next fall. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Mother's Day.